All right, so we've set up the context and we've read now through Paul's letter to Philemon. To begin with, we need to address the concept of slavery because for a lot of 21st century readers, this is an obstacle for them embracing or even seeing and admiring what Paul is requesting of Philemon. All right. The concept of slavery as we understand it today and as it was understood in the first century are not the same. They were very different. Slavery in our world and thinking is wrapped up in ethnicity and in racism, all right? That's what we often think of when we think of slavery. Slavery in the ancient world, it was quite different. It wasn't necessarily good, but it was just different in the fact that anybody could become a slave. You fall behind in some payments, you actually give yourself into slavery for the purpose of working off your debt so then that you could be restored back to your position. Position. Lots of people who were slaves, there were some people that were slaves that were seen as property, and so they lived there in the manor, and so they couldn't run away. There was others that they were enslaved to someone, and so they worked for them, but at the end of that work, they went home with their families, and they could eat, but they weren't free to go make their own fortunes. They had to work off their debts to serve the people that they owed something to. And so the world worked through slavery. There was a massive portion of the population that were enslaved. And again, I don't want to make it sound like it was no big deal. It was a big deal. There was a problem. If you were part of the slave class, you were looked at being less than human. You, you weren't treated like other people. But it was very common, and it was integrated into the fabric of their society. In fact, the Roman culture, it could survive and work so long as everybody knew their place. Slaves needed to know their place. The middle class needed to know their place. Masters needed to know their place. The senators and, you know, emperor and all that stuff, everybody knew their place. And things worked when everybody stayed in their lane and worked in their place. To suggest that there is no distinction between slave and free or between slaves and masters would be to disrupt the order of things, and it could produce in a collapse of the societal structures. So any preaching or any sort of ideas that attempted to dismantle that could be seen as a threat to the Roman Empire. And this is what you need to know, that Part of what made Christians seem like they were threatening Rome or threatening the order of things were ideas like, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free. That you are to relate to each other as brothers and sisters, not as, not on this other scale and this other, um, you know, th through these other lenses. And so there were those that were in power that saw these ideas and they, they could put the dots together. If we actually start living this out, if this actually starts to take hold, this could turn things upside down. This could threaten the order of things. And so even though in Paul's writings, he doesn't come out and condemn the institutions of slavery, which is what a lot of 21st century readers are looking for. Well, Paul didn't condemn it. He didn't come out right and say it's evil and it's wrong. No, he didn't come out and say that, but what he did say was revolutionary. What he did say was not support it and uphold it. He did introduce some ideas that actually created some disruptions. And here's what you need to know. The people of Paul's day that weren't followers of Jesus, that heard what he was saying and heard what other Christians were saying, they recognized what they meant and they recognized what could happen as a result of people paying attention to this and people actually following through and living this stuff out. It was seen as a threat. Okay, so we might think and want Paul to condemn the institution of slavery, but Paul instead wisely, think of it this way, put a time bomb. 
next to the institution of slavery and in next to the ideas and the concepts. And what this time bomb would do, it would begin to slowly soften the ground so that change could eventually take place. All right, we must be careful. I'll just make this statement before we get into now the practical verses. We must be careful that we do not judge critically the thinking and methods of the first century with our 21st century thinking. We've got to make a mistake. We can only appreciate something for what it is within its context, within its time. All right, C.S. Lewis calls making this mistake of, of taking our values, morals, knowledge, and going back to previous generations ago, look how ignorant they were, look how foolish they were, and not being able to actually appreciate the people that were a part of that culture and time for the revolutionary steps that they were taking, he calls this chronological snobbery. I love that term. And he says that we can be guilty of committing chronological snobbery. We can go back to a previous time with our knowledge and we can look down our noses at those people. And so we need to be careful. To do so would be to miss the incredible boldness and the revolutionary positions people like Paul and people like Jesus were taking on some of these big cultural issues. This is most certainly true of the position that Paul takes and the appeal Paul makes when it comes to slavery, okay? So now that we've addressed slavery and that theme, because this is the, the theme of Philemon, let's now get into this letter and let's, starting to, let's start to break down how Paul then appeals to Philemon and the things that he does to try to build bridges and bring reconciliation, because that's the theme of this. He wants there to be true reconciliation that takes place. The first thing that we see is Paul chooses to use his influence and his pos and position himself in the middle of a broken relationship. So what we can derive is that Onesimus, he was a slave of Philemon, that he ran away from Philemon on not good terms, that there wasn't, there was some bad blood that happened there. We don't know if he stole something from him. It implies that maybe he did, that something was lost. It could have just been Philemon lost a worker and so that set him back. It could be that Onesimus stole some money or possessions when he took off and ran away. But obviously the way Onesimus fled Philemon under, well, he was a slave to him, it wasn't right by Roman rule. And Philemon had every right to get his pound of flesh. In fact, there's other writings within this time that show that if a slave runs away from their master and uh, they do it and they're not supposed to, that the cost of that is execution. And it might not even just be execution for that one slave, but some of the other slaves that were around could have been seen as a party to that, and they could have been executed as well. So Onesimus' actions affected more than just Onesimus. It affected the other people that he left behind. And so we see that there's this, this problem, there's this break in relationship, there's this break in this connection between Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul chooses to insert himself in the middle of this conflict in hopes to bring forgiveness, healing, and reconciliation. So this is the first thing that's instructive to us. As a follower of Jesus, we are to seek how we can connect and build, not isolate ourselves or run away from the problems, right? And why did Paul do this? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus, he stepped into our broken relationship with God. He put himself in the middle to try to reunite us with our Heavenly Father. He did this by becoming human, by dwelling among us, and ultimately sacrificing himself for us so that we could be reconciled with God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, 
blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That's Matthew 5, verse 9. We are reflecting the image of God when we are positioning ourselves as peacemakers. We are reflecting the image of God when we're putting ourselves in the middle of conflict in an attempt to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. So how does Paul walk this out? Well, there's a number of different verses that break down and show us some of the different steps. So let's start with Paul's starting point. We named this session where reconciliation begins, and it begins with the person who's trying to bring peace, what the state of their heart is and what the state of their soul is. So what was the state of Paul's heart and the state of Paul's soul? Well, he starts with thanksgiving and with prayer and love. Let's see in verses four to seven. He says, I always give thanks to God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. He goes on to say, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So notice this. The whole point of this letter is to try to step in and say, try to appeal and to fix a broken relationship. But the first thing he does before he says, hey, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to do the right thing. I want to appeal to you to do what is right. He starts by just saying, I just want you to know how thankful I am for you. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you continually. Let me tell you a few things about you that I admire. You see, peacemakers, people that bring reconciliation, they express thankfulness and they pray for others. That's what enables them to be a peacemaker. They're people of prayer and they're people with an attitude and with an experience of, or with a, uh, with an attitude and with a heart and a posture of thanksgiving. Forgiveness and reconciliation takes work. And we usually only invest our work in the places that we think value can come from it, right? Sometimes we can be choosy in where we invest our work or where we invest our time. And the thing is, when it comes to conflicts, when it comes to fractures in relationships, maybe in our own relationships or in the relationships of other people, here's the sad state of the human condition. The human condition, the sinful nature, says it's more easy to explain it away than it is to fight to restore it and repair it. I have this written down. Opinions are easier to form than relationships are. Isn't that true? It's easier to just have an opinion about something than to engage in relationship. Motives are easier to assign than they are to discover. It's just easier to do that, isn't it? Right? And we see this happening all the time around us. People are easier to write off than they are to invest in. That's true. If we just leave it with the default sinful nature, it's easier to have opinions, it's easier to assign motives, and it's easier to just write people off than to invest in them. So Paul doesn't do that. Paul starts by expressing thankfulness and prayers for Philemon. And what happens as a result of it? Thankfulness, it keeps our hearts and our minds clear of bitterness and frustration. And it puts us in a position to be able to see the good in others, for us to be able to call out the good things in other people, and for us to have the right heart and the right posture that can actually bring peace, that can actually result in reconciliation. Let's read verse 6 here because I want to read a comment about verse 6 from William Barclay. Verse 6 says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. 
all right? I want to read what William Barclay says about this passage. Here's a comment that he makes. He says, another way of saying this verse could be, it is my prayer that your way of generously sharing in all that you have will lead you to more and more deep, would lead you more and more deeply into the knowledge of the good things which lead us to Christ. So in other words, as you share, as you give, as you love graciously, as you do that, it will somehow lead you deeper into knowing the way of Jesus and into becoming and being transformed more into the person of Jesus. So Barclay says that's one way you could interpret it. He goes on to say this, this means that we learn about Christ by giving to others. It means that by emptying ourselves, we're filled with Christ. It means that to be open-handed and to be generous-hearted, it's the surest way to learn more and more of the wealth of Christ. He finishes by saying this. He says, the one who knows most of Christ is not the intellectual scholar, nor is it even the saint who spends all day in prayer. But the one who knows the most of Christ is the one who moves among others in loving generosity. I love that. It's the person that practices this, that is willing to share, that's willing to extend the love of God. That's the person that knows more about God. And so we grow in becoming more like Christ as we love. We learn about Jesus and become like Jesus when we are loving generously. And so he's making this observation about Philemon, and he's also practicing it. And this is how Paul, he was demonstrating the way of Christ and the love of Christ. He was sharing this love and calling out that love inside of other people. I also love how these opening passages, they show how Paul focused on the good in Philemon. Sometimes it's easy to overestimate someone's weaknesses and underestimate God's work in them. And it can get so bad that we sometimes pride ourselves on it can get so bad that we sometimes pride ourselves in seeing the negative in others. And we can all be guilty of this. Uh, I have this written down, and I heard someone say something like this, but I kind of retooled it and reframed it, so I'll take credit for it. It says, we should beware. We should beware when we find ourselves cloaking gossip and slander in discernment and wisdom. We've got to be careful of when we're doing that. Sometimes we can gossip about others, we can slander other people, but we can put a cloak of, well, I'm only saying this because I'm discerning, or we can cloak it in wisdom, but really at the root of it, at the heart of it, it's, it's gossip and slander. Paul opens this passage up, seeing something that he needed to address in Philemon, seeing something that he needed to call out in Philemon, and he wasn't totally sure, I think, when he wrote this, how he would respond to this. He believed the best, and he wanted to call out the best, but what he did to do this was he called out the good in him, and he spoke and, and focused on the good that was in Philemon. And we need to make sure that we're doing the same, to be a peacemaker, to be a bridge builder, to be the kind of person that can bring healing and reconciliation. We need to accept that and, and embrace that, that spirit of Christ and that humility that enables us to see good in others and not be critical of them. Oswald Chambers, he said that like this, he humbly said, I have never met a man that I cannot despair of when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. In order to bring reconciliation, we must strive to see people in terms of what God is making them, not in terms of where they are. And so this is, these are some lessons that we derive from these first few verses in Philemon.
Philippians, another letter that Paul wrote. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it. This tells us we are all incomplete and we're all dependent upon God to continue his work in our lives. And so as brothers and sisters and fellow followers of Jesus, let us strive to work with, not against the work that God is doing in us to bring us to that place of completion. If we choose to isolate ourselves, our story will simply begin and end with us. And that's sad because the story that God is writing is not just my story. It's his story. And his story involves more than me. His story involves his family, his church, his people, the world that he loves so much. So what do we derive from these opening passages as we close this session? We derive this, that reconciliation, it starts with our hearts and in our souls. Practice thanksgiving, practice prayer, love generously, and strive to see the good in others. This was Paul's starting point as he wrote this letter, and this is the starting point for true reconciliation to take place.